Okay, so from Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely... Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Thanks, Rachel. Let's uh, pray and then we'll dig into those words. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for all that you give to us. Thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for the sun shining. Lord, thank you too for your word uh, in which we can come to understand you more clearly. And as we think about discipleship again this morning, what it means to follow Jesus, we ask that you would uh, help us to understand that uh, and Lord, help us to take up uh, our cross uh, and to walk in the way of Jesus. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder if you've ever done something like this. You've saved up for years uh, to go on an overseas holiday. You've been planning, you've been making the spreadsheet, uh, you know, of where you're going to be and uh, what the average temperature is going to be every day where you are and what clothes you need to take along, along the way. That's the kind of thing my parents do, by the way. I think they enjoy planning for the trip more than going on it. But I wonder if you've done all this planning, all this money saving up, you've got to the airport, you've lined up for the flight, you've booked in, you've lined up, you've waited there, but then you haven't got on. And you just wave the, wave the plane as it, as it taxis onto the runway and takes off and departs. Uh, or maybe you've gone into training, uh, you know, for a school carnival for the cross country and for a year you go out after school every day, you go running and you're in training. Uh, you're in training so that you can win, the day of the race comes, you line up the start, the gun goes off and you watch everyone else start and you just stand there and go back and, you know, take your shoes off and get on with the rest of your life. Or maybe for years you've been working towards that dream job, you've, you've been spent, sort of tucked away behind books for hours, studying, doing practice exams, getting work experience uh, that, that's going to help you get a foot in the door, uh, and finally you get the job, but you never turn up for work. 
Uh, it's, it doesn't happen, does it? Uh, it shouldn't happen, but why not? It doesn't happen because getting on the flight or lining up at the start of the race or securing the job are just the beginning of the journey, not the end. And the same is true of the Christian life. Many people think that coming to Jesus is the end of a journey, but actually coming to Jesus is just the beginning of a journey. It's the beginning of the journey of being Jesus' disciple, and that's what we're looking at today. That's what Paul is talking about uh, here in the book of Colossians. Over the last few weeks, we've uh, looked at discipleship, we've looked at Jesus' invitation to the weary and the burdened to come to him, to find rest in him. We've seen how accepting that invitation is costly, it costs us everything, it costs us our relationships, Uh, it costs us uh, everything that we own, and even our very selves. But today we're looking at where Jesus is taking us on that journey. He calls us to follow him, but where are we going and how do we get there? Well, in the passage that Rachel read for us, Paul is in the middle of outlining to one of the early church communities the nature of his ministry. So he says in verse 25, I have become its servant, that is, I've become the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of, his mystery, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul says his mission is to make the gospel known, especially to the Gentiles, that is, especially to those people who were not Jewish, who had not heard of God's promises in the Old Testament to save a people for himself uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that the mission that God has given him is a global mission, It's a mission to the whole world, not just to a small community, not just to a small nation, but to the entire world. Paul has a message for the whole world. That message he's outlined a little earlier in verse 19 and 20. He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the message, this worldwide message that Paul has, that he was given by God to proclaim, is the good news that those who have believed in Jesus are reconciled to God through Jesus' death. So we were enemies of God on account of our rejection of him and our rebellion against him, Uh, But the righteous anger and the just uh, wrath of God has been put away by Jesus' death if we trust in him and we've become God's children. We've been reconciled to God. We were enemies and now we're part of God's family. But Paul says his good news is bigger than that. His His good news is bigger than just reconciliation. That's a key plank in it, but it's bigger than that. So look at verse 21. He says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 
So Paul mentions reconciliation again. He says, we've been reconciled to God, but the ultimate goal of that reconciliation is so that Jesus may present us to the Father as holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. So Paul is is talking about what we are now, that is, we're reconciled to God, but he's looking ahead as well to the last day, to the day when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, and he's saying that on that day, Jesus will present his people to the Father as holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. There's three ideas there that I think we need to get our heads around. First, free from accusation. So, although Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead, those who are in Christ, for those who are in Christ, all the offences of our past have been forgiven, they've been buried in the depths of the sea, they've been put away so that there's no accusation. There's no accusation that can be brought against us. But Jesus means to do more than just that. Second, Jesus will present us as holy. What does it mean to be holy? To be holy means to be set apart for the service of God, set apart to live for God with our whole person. Third, Paul says Jesus will present us without blemish. That is, the evil that lives within us will be unpicked from our nature so that every desire and inclination will be to love God and serve God and never again will any evil thought come into us. So three things, free from accusation, holy, set apart for God's service, and without blemish, pure uh, and undefiled. So the good news, this good news that Paul is preaching, this gospel that Paul is preaching, is the good news that God means not only to dispose of the guilt of our sin, but also to deal with the presence of of sin in our lives. God in Christ has reconciled us to himself. He's declared us to be right in his eyes. But one day Jesus will present us as truly holy and blameless. He will make us like him. And that transformation into the image of God is something that which is something that is not complete until that day that Jesus presents us to his father. But here's the thing. The thing is that Paul says in his ministry, he's working to the same end as Jesus. He's working for the same purpose to which Christ is working. So so Paul has said that Jesus will present us at the last day. Listen to what Paul says about his ministry in verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So Paul says, not only is Christ, Christ is working to present us uh, us perfect and holy at the last day, but Paul himself is working to that same end, that he might present those to whom he has ministered as mature. In fact, that word mature carries that same idea of perfection. Uh, Paul's aim is to achieve the same thing uh, that 
Christ is working towards. Paul's not saying that his ministry will make people perfect, uh, certainly not make people perfect this side of eternity, but he recognises that a key part of his ministry, a a key, key part of God's plan for his ministry, is not just to uh, spare people from hell, but to make people like Jesus, to change and to begin to work in them, to change and to transform them to be like, like Jesus. His aim, Paul's aim is not just to get kind of tip people over the line into the kingdom, into discipleship. His aim is to work towards perfection. It's important to understand, as I said before, that coming to Jesus is not the end of a journey, but the beginning of a journey. The life of of Christian discipleship is a life of growing towards that extraordinary goal of being perfect and holy and righteous in in Jesus Christ. Uh, on, uh, On Tuesday at the leadership night, uh, the training night, I showed uh, a picture which kind of captures the idea. I think there should be a picture there, Luke. Um, so, uh, before we know Jesus, we're in the domain of darkness. We're estranged from God. And then th- uh, through hearing the, the message of the gospel and believing uh, in Jesus and coming to Jesus, we, we are transferred from that domain of darkness into the kingdom of, of, of Jesus. But, so we're in, that, we're in that, we have a new status, a new relationship with God, we've been adopted by God into his family, but we're still growing, we're still moving towards that end, which won't be completed until the day of Christ, uh, where there's this redeemed community gathered around the risen Christ who are holy and blameless and praising uh, God uh, and living for God with their entire being. So we're, we come to know Christ We come into the kingdom, but we're growing towards this goal. Thanks, Luke. Uh, You you could actually just put it back up for another second. (laughs) I forgot to mention the little L plate, you see. Um, We come into this kingdom and then we become learners of Jesus. We become learners growing towards that maturity. We're learning him. Thanks, Thanks, Luke. So it's important for us to see that in coming to Christ, we don't end a journey, but we begin one. We begin a a journey of being learners of Christ, learning to be like him, growing into um, his image. But it's important too, I think, for us to understand that the goal is not just maturity. See, I think the word maturity can be unhelpful. It, It can be a great word, but it can be unhelpful as well in the Christian life because it gives us the idea that maybe we've, we can get there. You know, so I, you know, I've been a Christian, you might think I've been a Christian for 20 years, and I, I am, I'm, I'm mature. I'm more mature today than I was 20 years ago, maybe. But actually, that's not the goal. The goal is not to be a little bit better than we were uh, uh, 20 years ago. The, the goal, uh, the place to which Jesus is taking us is, Holiness and righteousness and blamelessness. Our goal is not just to be a little bit better or, or not, to be a, not even to be a little bit better than those around us, but to be these lifelong learners of Jesus who are learning him and following him. Uh, I said on Tuesday night uh, that we're le- like, like learner drivers, uh, we're learners but our logbook won't be complete. 
uh, until the day that Jesus returns. We've got to keep learning, keep growing, keep developing. And Paul says that that, that pursuing that, that pursuing that holiness uh, and, uh, and righteousness and blamelessness takes effort. So look at how he describes how he's working um, for the growth of the Colossians. He says in verse 29, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Uh, or verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. So he says that Christ is working in him. It's not just his own strength and power. It's the work of Christ. But, but he's still working for their maturity. He's working strenuously. He's working hard. And his purpose in saying that to them is not... the purpose, Paul's purpose in saying to the Colossians, I'm working really hard for you, is not so that they can say, fantastic, let's just put up our feet and just accept the work of Paul. He's saying that so that they can imitate that in, in, in their lives. The rest of Colossians is... Is, is an outworking of that. Paul's saying, I'm working hard to achieve this end. You work hard as well. That's what Paul models as well in Philippians chapter 3. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That is, Christ has taken hold of us for this aim of perfection. He's bringing us there, but Paul says within that, I'm straining ahead to, to receive it, to get more of it today than I had before. We need to understand that growth in Christian maturity, growth as disciples of Jesus, is not something that just happens it's not something that just happens as we get older uh, or as we, uh, uh, as we uh, kind of uh, move from one day to the next. Growth in Christian maturity, growth towards the goal for which Christ has called us, takes effort. But I think we often confuse maturity with age. So we just think that, it, that as we get older, you know, if I've been a Christian for a year, I'll be more mature after one year than I was when I first started. If I've been a, mature, if I've been a Christian for 10 years, I'll be more mature than, than when I started. Or we think that, that because someone's older, that they must be a more mature Christian than somebody who's younger. But I've known and discipled people. I have, a, I have a friend who at the age of 20 is probably more mature than most Christians that I've met at the age of 50 or 60 or 70. It's a great work of God. Striving. He's striving for maturity. That's what we need to be doing. Growing to be like Jesus takes effort. Not, not as a kind of a burden that we have to attain Otherwise, God won't accept us. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying strive for holiness because if you don't get there, the deal's off. That's not what he's saying. He's saying strive for this because this is the life-giving hope for which we were saved and set apart for by Jesus. We've been offered this. We've been promised this. And Paul's saying strive for it aim for it that is it's not like striving to get the bathroom clean you know kind of with the toothbrush 
working away at the mould, bent over, you know, doubled over, thinking, this is ne- I'm never going to get this clean. That's not the kind of striving that Paul is calling us, God is calling us to engage in. The striving, the pursuit that God is calling us to is like the striving and pursuit of saving for your dream holiday. It's the goal to which you're looking forward. And that striving and that effort is not a burden, but a great joy because every day, every effort brings you closer to the thing for which you hope. Paul says that the Christian life is not the end of a journey, but the beginning of a journey. But how do we move along that road? How do we move towards completeness, wholeness in Christ? Well, look at verse 28 again. Paul says this is how he does it. He, Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So the way that Paul strives for the maturity of the Colossians is by proclaiming Jesus. He is the one we proclaim. So we don't begin uh, by proclaiming Jesus. We don't sort of uh, proclaim Jesus in order that people might be saved and then move on to teaching them other things. Uh, We begin with Jesus. We proclaim Jesus in order that they might be saved, they might come to him, and then we keep proclaiming Jesus so that we can keep learning him. So just after this, in chapter 2, verse 6, after we finish, Paul says, So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. He says, you began with Jesus, keep going with Jesus. So we don't come to Jesus and get forgiveness and grace from him and then move on from Jesus in order to be holy and blameless. Rather, holiness and blamelessness are something that God works in us as we pursue Jesus, as we learn him, as we strive after him. Paul describes the gospel, in fact, in verse 27 as, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory is that Christ is at work in us, transforming and changing us from the inside out. So the hope of perfection and completeness and blamelessness is not an abstract hope. Perfection is not an abstract idea, but it's a personal idea. Perfection means being transformed into the image of Jesus. It means being like him. And the way that we become like Jesus is by his work in us. The Holy Spirit comes and makes his home in us, unites us with Jesus and makes us like Jesus. So it's not that we begin with Jesus, Jesus gets us over the line with forgiveness and then we move on to the Holy Spirit. Rather, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ to us, to unite us with Jesus, and to work the life and the power of Christ uh, out in us. The Christian life is the life which begins with and continues with these words, I want to know Christ. 
So I think the most, one of the most profound statements of the Christian life in the whole Bible is in Philippians 3, where Paul says, I consider everything garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like in his, him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul knows Jesus, but wants to know him more. He's striving after him. And in the same way, although we know Christ, we ought to strive to know him more and more every day. We've given up everything uh, in order to come to Christ, and the way that we continue the Christian life is by giving up everything to keep being with Christ. We uh, keep seeking the grace and the mercy that's in Christ. We keep living every day at the foot of the cross because we know that every day we continue to need God's grace and mercy. Uh, We keep seeking Jesus as our high priest, the one who intercedes for us, our, our mediator with God, the one who can sympathize with our weakness. We keep seeking Jesus' truth, uh, and we study his life uh, in order to understand what it means to live for God. We seek, Paul says, his death at work in his life. I want to know him. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want his death to be worked out in in my life. I, I want his death to unpick from within me the sin and the evil which distances me from God. And, I, and, and we ought to seek after the Lord Jesus Christ so that, so that his resurrection power is at work in us, giving us life and enabling us uh, to live for God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We begin with Jesus and we continue with Jesus. What does that look like? Uh, in practice, it means every day uh, beginning with the Lord Jesus Christ. It means that when we're struggling with sin uh, or, or evil in our lives, that we pray, Father, I ask that you would help me to know Christ more, to love him more. I pray that his death would, would be worked out in my life. Uh, I pray that his resurrection power would be worked out uh, in my life. If we move beyond Christ, then we move beyond reconciliation with God. We move beyond the power of the Spirit who comes through Christ. We move beyond the Spirit who unites us with Christ and makes us like Christ. And we move beyond the Father who has made himself known in Christ. Paul says that the Christian life is the beginning of a journey but it's a journey that we continue by proclaiming him, relying on him, living in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and seeking everything from his hand. So the goal is perfection. We do that by proclaiming Christ and learning Christ. And yet lastly, proclaiming Christ and learning Christ are not small ideas, they're not little ideas, but they're big ideas, they're expansive ideas. So look at what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. 
in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, so Paul says that learning Christ and knowing Christ is not, it's not just this little idea about uh, Jesus died for your sins, uh, receive him and be forgiven. He says actually learning Christ, this goal once, once we come to know Christ, this goal of learning Christ is a big thing. It involves full riches of complete understanding and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's mission, in other words, is to proclaim Christ in all his fullness, which is the same goal that he specifies in verse 25. I've become its servant, the servant of the church, by the commission that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Paul's mission is to proclaim the full revelation of God in the scriptures, which finds its fulfillment and full meaning uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's in Jesus uh, that all God's promises find their yes and amen. It's in Jesus that the law of God uh, revealed to us in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment and purpose. Uh, It's in Jesus, as we've seen, that uh, we find all that we need for life and godliness. Uh, It's in Christ through the Holy Spirit that is the hope of, uh, of glory, Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. So proclaiming Christ and proclaiming the word of God in all its fullness are not two different things, but the same thing. The scriptures reveal the mission of Christ. They reveal the law of Christ, the hope of Christ, the forgiveness that's in Christ, the life that's in Christ. And so the way that we grow toward maturity and completeness in Christ is by the proclamation, not just of the doorway to Christ, but by proclaiming Christ in all his fullness, by the proclamation of the Bible uh, in all its fullness. I think it was John Stott uh, who complained that so often people ask the question, what's the least I need to know to be a Christian? But he said... That shouldn't be our question. Our question should not be, what's the least that I need to know to be a Christian, but what's the most that God wants me to know? What's the maximum, not the minimum, what's the maximum that I can know about God uh, and about the Lord Jesus Christ? And Paul says that that's his mission. His mission is to make that known to others. God's mission is for us to know his whole counsel as he's revealed it to us uh, in the Bible. That process uh, of coming to know all that there is to know about Christ and coming to know the whole counsel of God involves, Paul says, a few things. It involves, first of all, teaching. uh, And by implication, obviously, learning as well. Knowing Christ and growing in maturity in Christ requires teaching and learning. It's unavoidably a an educational task. I don't mean by that that learning Christ necessarily involves a classroom and desks uh, and taking notes, but it does involve listening and reading 
uh, and deliberate study uh, and thought. You can't just expect that information will magically end up in your head without any effort. You know, it takes effort to learn things. It takes effort to understand things. Um, And we can't expect that we will understand everything straight away. We can't expect that we'll hear something for the first time and understand it. when I was at, uh, when I, was at uni- I always tell people, young people who are studying university this, I say, when I was at university, no lecture ever made sense. I, I, I sat down the other day and I thought, I honestly can't remember coming out of a lecture and thinking, you know what? I have got that. I have nailed that. I would come out of a lecture and go, does anyone else have any idea what just happened? There was one, maybe there was this guy, Uncle Chu. I think I understood one lecture that he did. Uh, but but that's, that's what learning is like. Learning is not sitting somewhere and a light bulb going on in a second. Learning takes effort. It takes listening to that and going away and thinking about it. It means going home and reading again and, and nutting it out and going, I didn't understand what he said. I don't understand what's, being, what's going on here. It involves discussing it with other people going back to the teacher and asking them a question, asking a friend who understands to explain it to you. It takes teaching and learning. It takes effort. And not all the things that we learn will be immediately useful. We won't understand the usefulness of them straight away. It might not be for a month or a year or many years before we understand the meaning of those things that we've learned, but they form us as people and prepare us for the things that we will encounter. Learning Christ involves study and teaching and learning. But it also involves admonishing. I think that's the hard one, isn't it? Proclaiming Christ involves correcting, pointing out mistakes uh, and errors. It involves bringing sin into the light. It involves confession and repentance. It involves attempting to put off sin and to put on the truth. It's impossible, in fact, to grow toward maturity without uh, correction. Uh, So imagine trying to teach somebody to drive without ever being able able to say that they've done something wrong. You know, they start driving on the wrong side of the road and the other other car's coming down the road towards you and you go, you're doing really well. Just thought I'd mention at this point in time, Uh, One of the things that we like to do in Australia is to drive on the left side of the road and they say, that's great, that's fantastic. Uh, You know, and they keep driving down the other side of the road. You need to be able to correct people, don't you? Part of the learning process when we're at school is that you do an assignment and someone says, no, that's wrong, actually, you've misunderstood that. That that matters because unless someone corrects you, you you can't do it, you can't progress, you can't make sense of it. Paul says that learning the gospel is no different. We need to be taught, but we also need at times to be corrected. We need people to say, brother, you've got a problem with anger. You've got, you need something to, you need to deal with that. Uh, or sister, you need to stop grumbling. Uh, it's damaging yourself and others are dishonouring God. Uh, or friend, I think you've misunderstood something about the nature of God. Let me explain that to you because understanding that will help you to understand who God is and how you can live for him truly 
to do that, to teach and admonish, Paul says that we need wisdom. We need wisdom to know what truth to apply to what situation and wisdom to know when to apply it. We need wisdom to know when to teach and when to admonish. And we need wisdom to know how to admonish and how to correct, how to do that in love and gentleness, and sometimes how to do that more forcefully. Knowing what to do and when and how requires great wisdom. And without that wisdom and without that teaching, without that admonishing, we cannot learn Christ. Well, coming to Jesus, Paul says, is not the end of a journey, but it's the beginning of a journey. It's the beginning of a journey in which we are learning Christ. Every day we are learning to be more and more like Jesus. It's the beginning of a journey in which every day we are striving to learn Jesus, not because we have something to earn, not because we have to make a goal, make a grade, We are striving to learn Jesus because that's our heartfelt goal. That's the goal to which Christ has called us, the goal for which he has saved us. And that journey is a journey in which we strive to learn Jesus through teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom and grace. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much that uh, many of us here this morning have come to know Christ. Uh, We have heard his call to the weary and the heavy laden to come to him, to take his yoke upon us and to learn from him. And Lord, we have found rest for our souls in Christ. And Lord, it's cost us a lot to come to him. It's cost us some relationships. It's cost us the things that we own, it's cost us our very lives. And Lord, we want to keep travelling on that pathway, not to remain stagnant, but to grow towards what Christ has called us to, which is wholeness and completeness and holiness and blamelessness in him. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd help us to do that, to strive for that with all the energy that you so powerfully work within us. We ask that you'd help us to strive for that by proclaiming Christ to each other, to our own hearts, to a lost and hurting world. Lord, we pray that you would help us to strive for that by teaching and learning Christ, correcting and admonishing one another with all wisdom so that we would be growing Christians who every day see in ourselves and in those around us a growth towards the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to long for that day, that great hope where Christ will present his people as holy and blameless and free from accusation. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.